Hello, everybody. Hello. Good morning, Charlie. Good morning, Mark. And Lola and Angel and Sarah and Bo and Cito. Now all our podcast listeners know all of your names. They can track you down and ask for clarification on some point you made two months ago that you don't remember. Wouldn't that be wild? <laughs> for sure. Today, <clears throat> Acts chapter 10. So... Book of Acts is amazing, isn't it? With all the different stories, yeah. it's just a book full of amazing stories. Mm. But this is interesting: Cornelius's vision, Peter's vision. Peter visits Cornelius, kind of that whole, that whole part there. So, like always, what did you think as an overall of the whole chapter? What stood out to you? Mm. What was interesting? Anybody want to go first? How many people do you think when, and we're going to get into this more in our discussion with Peter's vision, have misinterpreted Peter's vision about the sheet full of animals and it meaning, oh, take it literally. Yeah, just, a, they, they say that you can get rid of the, uh, the Judeo, uh, law on clean and unclean meat. A lot of, I've heard a lot of people talk like that. Absolutely. Yep. And that's really where the, like the Bible Belt kind of Christians and folk that you know where they really come from. You know, it's mm-hmm. like oh, everything was in that sheet, and um, so yeah, pretty wild. Then people, we should eat people too, right? No, no, no. Oh, that that that, <laughs> that the uh, the different animals yeah. represented all types of people. Absolutely, yeah, it was good, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I think people mistakenly confuse that because even even um, even Peter was confused about what the vision was. If it would have been that straightforward, it was talking about me. Then Peter would have been confused, and even Peter was confused. Mm-hmm. You know. Let's do some reading. Let's start Let's start verse 1, chapter 10, and let's read down through verse 16. So those first two paragraphs, Cornelius' vision and Peter's vision. And then we'll do some unpacking. So let's see. Sarah, you want to kick us off? You mind reading, say, like, uh, first, uh, first paragraph there, verse 1, 2, and 3? There was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the... Italian regiment. He was a devout man and feared God along with his whole household. He did many charitable deeds for the Jewish people and always prayed to God. About three in the afternoon, he distinctly saw in a vision an angel of God who came in and said to him, Cornelius. Lola. Go ahead and uh, finish us up to verse 8. Staring at him in awe, he said, What is it, Lord? The angel told him, your prayers and your acts of charity have ascended as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa and call for Simon, who is also named Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, who was one of those who attended him. After explaining everything to him, he sent them to Joppa. Mark, you want to read some? 
Well, I, I wanted to make a point. Sure. And something that I think this version left out is that, you know, Simon Tanner, whose house is by the seaside, he shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. Interesting. Thank you for adding that. So you're talking about verse 6, right? Yeah. He's lodging with Simon Tanner, whose house is by the sea. Yes. Very nice. Thank you for adding that. Right, so there are more details that aren't explained here. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's that's one thing, you know, which we, we do encourage. I mean, yeah, we try to all read from the same version just mm -hmm. for cohesiveness. But, yeah, to add different versions, it just adds so much more to the story. Uh, I like that. It's good. So, yeah, you want to go ahead and read 9 through, I don't know, 9 through 12, 13? 9 through 13. On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up unto the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry, and he would have eaten, but while he made ready, he fell into a trance, and saw heaven opened, and a certain vessel descending unto him, as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners, and let down to the earth, and wherein all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts, and creeping things, and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill, and eat. Mm. Angel, you want to finish this off? 14 through 16. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. Mm. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the man sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. That's good. Thank you, Angel. Yeah. Okay, so we've laid some groundwork for an interesting story here. An angel comes to Cornelius, who is not a member of the Jewish nation. However, the Bible makes it clear that he is a man of God. And then he brings up how God came to Peter and, in essence, basically told him the same thing, too. I want to read a quote here that I thought was really interesting. Um, last weekend we were watching a movie. We were watching The Three Musketeers. Anybody seen that movie or heard the book Three Musketeers? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Grew up with that story. It's good, right? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you might want to explain what happened. You just got kissed by a doggy. <laughs> so for our listeners, we have a, pup, a chihuahua puppy here in our house. And... The, just ran up on Lola and said, hello. <laughs> <laughs> this dog is nuts right now. <clears throat> so yeah, this quote, check this out. So Aramis, he's one of the three stooges, the three stooges, the three musketeers. <laughs> he said, a man of God and a man of the cloth are not necessarily the same thing. When I heard that quote, I was like, whoa. A man of God and a man of the cloth are not necessarily the same thing. Well, think about it. Conversion is personable. It only applies to that one person. And people can act a certain way to fulfill a, a duty, not necessarily do it because they believe. 
you guys remember last week when we were talking about how um, God came to Saul, told him what he should do, and then God came to Ananias and told him what he should do, and, and he revealed his plans to the two different parties involved? And we referenced an Old Testament story in 1 Kings, and I wanted to correct myself. Last week I said it was 2 Kings, but it's actually 1 Kings chapter 13, um, where God told him one prophet what to do, and he went and did it, and then an older prophet came and lied to him, and it, the story went bad for the young man. But, but point being, I thought it was really interesting that here we are, just the very next chapter in our, in our story here of Acts, you see the same thing happening. God told Cornelius what to do, and then he revealed his same plans to Peter, just like he did with Saul. And, and I, I just wanted to kind of bring that out initially to start a conversation that the, the principle that if God can reveal his plans about you to someone else, then he is also able to reveal his plans to you, right? So it's just important to, that was an interesting lesson that I wanted to really kind of bring out. The contrast in the communication, though. Mm-hmm. To Cornelius, he spoke very directly. Mm-hmm. Go to Peter, he'll tell you what to do. You, you know, to Peter, he was very abstract. Mm. Kill and eat. Oh, that's unclean. You know, Interesting. Why, why would I want to kill and eat? And three times it happens. You know, yeah. and, and why didn't he just tell Peter, hey, there's a dude at the door, you need to go be nice to him and go talk to him. That's a good observation, Mark. Does anybody have any comments on that as to why why he came at Peter a little bit less directly? Especially since he knows Peter. Yeah, no doubt. I think maybe that's the point. He knows Peter. And maybe realized, you know, Peter's personality. He wouldn't have taken that as well if he'd just been like, hey, there's a dude here. You know, you need to go talk to him. And I think it's interesting that um, it says where you at? Verse nine. Nine. Nine and ten. Um, ten really. He, he became hungry and wanted to eat. Like I think that's interesting that they have that in there before he went and dreamed about food, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like what we would think of as food, right? Hmm. Because at that moment, like. You know, Jesus was, was communicating to Peter in a way that, like, would would get his attention at that moment, right? Because mm. he was hungry. That's so, a great point. I don't know. I just want to say something, too. Speak um, your mind. But you got to speak louder because I don't know what you're saying right now. Yeah, man. Yeah, sorry. Tomorrow. I just, I'm trying to get there. <laughs> okay. Processing. So, when the Lord showed him the four-footed animals yeah. in the sky and said, yeah. get up, Peter, kill and eat. Yeah. Okay. Let's say that was a command. Peter, kill and eat. Okay? He said, no, Lord, for I have never eaten anything impure and ritually, un- ritually unclean. So, it was a test because he knew, God knew, Peter was a rule keeper. He was going to keep the rules, and, and that means all the rules, not just eating. Uh-huh. That means, uh-huh. hey, don't mix with Gentiles, because that also was yeah, a rule. Them. Okay? And he said it a second time, and he emphasized with a third time. 
And then he didn't understand it still, but when the Gentile came to the door, he knew at that point something's different. Something, God is directing me to do something that I've been told all my life not to do. You yeah. know, so it was kind of like a, a preparation, and he knew Peter yeah. needed that emphasis. So I, I highlighted the same verse um, because the same thing. Peter is more concerned about following the rituals and laws than following, basically, principally, you know, following mm-hmm. Jesus. But then I, I kind of asked this question based on my comment from the Three Musketeers. Um, based on these verses, can we accurately diagnose that Peter is a man of the cloth, or a man of God. And to your point, Lola, he's a man of the cloth because he's all concerned about the rituals and the laws and he's obedient. I've never heard, just like Saul was, you know, he's a man of the cloth. But, but another thing came to me while you were saying that is there's a pattern, it, like three. Three is a pattern with Peter. Mm-hmm. He denied God three times. Jesus restored him on the lake shore you know, after his resurrection, when he made breakfast, and he said, Peter, do you love me? Three times, you know, the rooster crowed three times, here you are, you know, God's trying to teach Peter another lesson, but it takes him three times to get there. It's, it's interesting. I think he's hard-headed, and he's like yeah, no doubt. hammering it in there, yeah, you know? no doubt. <clears throat> I, I heard a sermon once talking about the, the number three, hmm. and that when if you look at every command that God has given throughout history there's always he's, he, he reconfirmed it three times interesting and um yeah so the, there there is a uh, an element there that you know it, it, it re reaffirms yes you know Excellent. you mean with peter everything is in threes mm-hmm. well, that's but that you, you can even go back even further it, it's you know th- three is you know, you have new new numerology people break apart the Bible, and they'll three is a very important number. Seven, of course. But I'm wondering if you go back and look at to when those times that God did things three times, if He was referencing the Israelites, the Jewish people, the Jewish nation, mm-hmm. or it was outside of that as well. Hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Interesting. <laughs> Check out, I, I highlighted some things here in verse 4, um, where the angel, three strikes in baseball. yeah right, three strikes in baseball, the, the angel says to Cornelius, your prayers and your acts of charity have ascended as a memorial offered before God. Um, and I just wanted to ask, you know, what is the angel acknowledging about Cornelius? The angel is acknowledging or accurately diagnosing Cornelius' heart, his nature, right? Because because man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So so God is saying, I see your heart, Cornelius. It's like mine. You are you are good, right? His nature. So in other words, like the angel is acknowledging that Cornelius lives on the principles of like love, other centeredness, right? And then I thought like this is, for me, and I'm going to keep going back to that man of the cloth versus a man of God comparison because Jesus told a story as a parable that talked about the same thing, right? Of a, a 
bunch of different guys. Some guys were men of the cloth. Some guys were not. But he said, which one saved? You guys remember the story I'm talking about? Good Samaritan. Right? The Good Samaritan story. And, and how, you know, in that story, you can find it in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37, if anyone listening wants to check it out. But in that story, who was saved? Not the guy who was the man of the cloth. Mm-mm. Not at all. The one that was the man of God. And I thought that was really interesting. His, you know, his nature was in harmony with God's. Yeah. When you mention cloth, you mention, you know, man of cloth, man of God. And I think it's just a matter of converted individual and not converted individual. Because I think a man can be of the cloth and of God. Mm-hmm. It, you know, because there's, you know, there's a rule, there's a rule to everything in life. You know sure. what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and so it's one of those things where if you were walking with God and you so happen to be a pastor, well, you kind of are both. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and so it's, you know, I, the, I want to make that distinction because I, I really do think that it's more of a converted individual that has a meaningful, real relationship with their God and someone who is formal with this mystic thing they can't quite think, you know, comprehend and don't have a relationship with. But yet they follow the rules. I think Peter understood okay. Jesus. He understood God. And he had a firm belief. Mm-hmm. But, that is, but to your point, it's, you know... This guy was doing charitable charitable deeds, but it wasn't that he was doing charitable deeds that he was uh, his acts were memorialized. It's because of what was why he was doing it. It was a reflection of his character. Right. It was yeah. just I'm doing it just because. It's not because I'm gaining right. anything from it. It's not because the neighbor Joe is watching me yeah. and I'm going to do something good. You yeah. know, and I think sometimes. What gets confused is people think, oh, well, we got to do good, we got to do good because that's how we're going to get saved. And well, guess what? You're already saved. You know, mm-hmm. God gave you that gift. You know, mm-hmm. it's not about doing the charity, it's about doing it out of love and concern for other people. And you, you know what I mean? And you know, yeah, that sort of thing. Well said. Yeah, well said. Anybody else point anything interesting out of there? Um, one thing that I have found really interesting in these stories, and I'm not going to lie at all, if I was doing my thing at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and all of a sudden this vision of an angel showed right up in front of me and called me by name, I don't think I could like have a conversation with him. <laughs> like it'd probably rock me to my bones. I, I don't, you know, and there are some examples like that. In scripture but most of the time these visions like they happen and people people just have these conversations like they're talking to God or Jesus or an angel and it's it's profound remember the early you know all through the book of Acts is talking about the Holy Spirit's involvement in right. their life and quite honestly I think with the Holy Spirit's involvement and it's the good side that's reaching out to you I think there would be a peace Mm. Um, when the Holy, you know, when the Spirit isn't involved, I don't think there's that same kind of settling peace. Mm. And so right. now you're seeing something you can't understand, and it, it could be an alien with a, you know, with a computer, you know, you know, I mean, what people visualize what God is, you know, but it's it's like, you know, I I know He's a loving Creator and He's a wonderful dude. Yeah. And and if you know, in peace, 
God's reaching out to you, why tremble? Hmm. Well, it does say that they stared at him in awe. So there was some fear involved in that. Just because you don't know. You don't know. And now, granted, his response was good because he he asked, what is the Lord? And, you know, and you hear that through the Bible, you know, and Samuel did it as a child. And, yes. you know what I mean? They, yeah. they responded in such a way. But doesn't mean that there was not an element of you know, I fear for better, I don't know a better yeah. word than that. But I mean, there was that. There obviously was that. Yeah. And I mean, you see some otherworldly be- being appear to you and know your name, mm-hmm. you know, I think that would get to you. <laughs> it's just some attention, huh? Yeah, yeah. Do you have a comment, Angel? No. <clears throat> I want to check out verse 19 and, uh, I think this is this is interesting, some thoughts I had about this. Um, verse 19, while Peter was thinking about the vision, the Spirit told him, three men are here looking for you. So, here's Peter, he's hungry, he's smelling this food that's being cooked, and his belly is just churning. And then he has this vision. And then he's sitting here comp- comprehending and contemplating what this means after three times. But the way it sounds here, while Peter was thinking about the vision, God's spirit was still there, let letting him, like holding space for him to kind of process all of this. And we don't know exactly how long amount of time went by, but we can spec, you know, let's imagine an hour, an hour went by. Peter's trying to make sense of this. And then God's spirit just basically says, three men are here looking for you. Really? What? Get up, go downstairs and go with them. With no doubts at all, because I have sent them to you. So Peter, okay, I'll do it. So, what I think is really interesting about this story, and what I what I kind of bring out of it is, not only is it another example of God working, of how God works, like the methods he used, right? So God reveals his plans, but... He, he's preparing both sides of this to happen. He's preparing Peter with a purpose, and he's preparing people to receive the message he wants to give them through Peter. Right? So I think that's really interesting that in Peter's mind, he had no idea about Cornelius. He had no idea the works Cornelius was doing. He didn't know anything about what was going on there. So, in other words, it's like a chess game almost, you know? Here's Peter. He's, he's living his life in harmony with God. He's a disciple. He's an apostle. And God is doing all this stuff out here that Peter has no knowledge of. And then when things are ready, God prepares this. And then he comes and he prepares Peter. And then he brings them together. And something goes like that. It just spreads like crazy. And I think that that's... I think that's a huge lesson for us when we start thinking and feeling, is God even working? What's going on? It feels like we're just in the valley or we're in the drudgery zone or we're just, you know? But, I mean, we, you know, we worship a God who sees everything, right? So it's like, it's like this story God couldn't do the work in Cornelius' zone 
until Peter was ready to change. Right? You see that in the story. Like Peter had to make a change in his view of people and his view of God to some extent, to a big extent. And when that could happen, now he was ready to go and people were ready to receive it. And so I just thought about that message of saying, so what is God working in my life or in your life or in our lives? He's saying, when you make that change, there will be people ready to receive the message through you. And he's, you know, and it's hopeful, you know, we can think out six months from now, a year from now, and, and it's hopeful, you know, do we see a second, a third, a fourth, you know, group started? Do we see, you know, our listeners here on our podcast, you know, a thousand people a month listening to it, right? So, or does he see that neighbor that, you know, you just now say hi to, but it, it turns into a Bible study, an opportunity to share your faith, you know? So I just, I kind of drove, I, that lesson kind of came out with me, and, and there's a, there's an author that I've been reading. His name is Harry Flanagan, and he has a quote here that I wanted to share. And he basically says, God was working on my recovery long before I was. And I love that quote. You know, what's God doing out here that you're not aware of yet? You know? What purpose is God preparing for you? And what message is he preparing you to receive? Some good questions to ponder, aren't they? What do you all think of that? Any final thoughts here before we close out? Well, um, I will say that, you know, but if you go further down, it talks about Peter understanding that God doesn't show favoritism, and I think that's so important to carry on. Yes. You know, it gives hope for the world. Yes. You know, it's not just in one section, in one church, in one... You know, one area, yeah. it's worldwide, and it's it's all of us. Yes, it is true. God does not show favoritism. Yeah. You know, I, I can't remember the text specifically to reference it, but, the you know, the passage that basically says, we know God's love for us in that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. Right, so he, you know, he made a choice to give an ultimate sacrifice to reveal himself to us without us doing anything to encourage him. Like he just, you know, it's a beautiful picture of God, isn't it? Absolutely. Amen. Amen. Yeah, so next week we'll be at our, at our church picnic. And then after that, we're going to jump into chapter 11. Gentile salvation defined, that's a topic there. The church in Antioch, famine relief. It's going to get kind of interesting there. See what we come up for drawing for that. Absolutely. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. We love you for this conversation and for the kind of person you are. Do your work in our lives. Prepare us to understand something and to grow and to heal and to change so that we're ready we're ready to send the message. We're ready to do the work that you're calling us to do. And may we be ever patient and watchful and just trust you that, you know, there's there's many, many, many other people and systems and organizations and families and 
in society that you are also working to receive. You're preparing to receive the truth about you. May we be ready. May we be willing that when you speak to us, we can be like Peter and say, all right, I see where you're leading. I got this, you know, and we choose to follow you. Thank you so much for this conversation in your name. Amen. Amen. Amen.